I'm Paula Messina. I'm here for Status with Anthony Sahyun, who also goes by alter ego Madame Chandelier. Anthony is a sound designer, composer, and guitarist of the Lebanese band Kinematic, known for its blend of instrumental rock, 70s psychedelia, post-rock, and progressive rock. Kinematic's first full length was released last year, and as Madame Chandelier, there was a solo release in 2016, but several ongoing projects there. So Anthony, thank you so much for meeting with me. And thank you for having me. me. Yeah, we're here in, in Beirut, uh, where Anthony is based. And I just wanted to start our conversation with a little bit about your early life, mm -hmm. where you were born, when, and what your life was like. I, I, I'm born in 1989, uh, the end, uh, at almost the end of the Civil War, one year before the Civil War ended in Lebanon, and uh, in Mount Lebanon, which is uh, the mountain where it snows here. And uh, I was born and raised and I spent all of my childhood there. And it's in fact, all of the members are, uh, of uh, Kinematik are also from that same spot. We're from, it's uh, Rayfoon. It's Rayfoon. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> it's pretty good. That's <laughs> pretty good. So tell yeah. me about Rayfoon. So Rayfoon is a really like a small uh, town where, uh, where, you know, people stare at you, where you when you pass uh, on the street where everyone knows everyone. and. Uh, very limited amount of people basically live there. Well, at least they basically in the 90s, you know, Lebanon has been uh, expanding for the past 15 years maybe. And it was, I think it was a lot quieter back then. Now you can see a lot of life and stuff like that, which my parents like because now there are, you know, people around and stuff like that. I used to like it better when it was cold and quiet. <laughs> but I mean, I think it's just nostalgic because I haven't lived there for 10 years maybe or so. So yeah, but it's a quiet uh, deadbeat kind of town and uh, it's full of racists and basically stuff you need to well your typical lebanese old uber christian town mm. yeah you met your fellow kinematic yeah we we all met well akram and i used to go to school together akram is the drummer and rudy also used to go to that same school he's the guy who was on uh, sense but he got i think he got kicked out yeah yeah rudy got kicked out they're older than me the guys but uh, yeah, we were at the same school and we actually discovered music together, Akram and I. And it's funny, back in the day, we didn't, uh, you know, there wasn't like the internet, Web 2.0 hasn't blown up back, uh, it wasn't blown up yet. So, uh, but, and, and then Raifun, you can't really find a lot of, uh, you know, we only had this one music shop. And uh, when we used to find a new CD, it was like, a, like it, it was a big deal. Right now, I was thinking about this just yesterday that you consume so much music right now. It's so easy to get anything new. And when we were young, it was such a big deal to hear a new song or to get a new CD, or especially in a town, a town that's small, that's far away from the city. And we were too young to basically drive cars or to go anywhere, right? So we, we only hung out there. So yeah, we discovered music together and I was, uh, I picked up the guitar at the time because my cousin was a guitar player and I used to go to his bedroom and drool watching him like to whatever stuff. I mean, obviously it was horrible, but <laughs> in the day it was like the coolest thing you can ever do, I think. So I picked up a guitar, I picked up the guitar from him and, uh, and Akram the, went on drums and, and we've played so much. Like the project Kinematik is not that, <clears throat> it's not an old project. We've been together for maybe three years now. But but the Akram and I have played music together since we were 12 or 13 years old, like when a whole lot of time, you know, a whole lot of stuff when we were young. And uh, yeah, and then throughout, I don't know what else to talk about in Raifun. 
Telling you it's very boring, it's empty, so there's not a lot to talk about. But it's good. I mean, I think you can make uh, you make really solid friendships that way. And it's, I think it's the case in all of Lebanon. I don't know how long you've been here, but you can tell that when people like the friends here, they make really, you know, tight circles and people are tight together. You know, mm-hmm. they're super tight. I think for my case, it's because that like that your friends were basically the only people who were in your age group in that. You know, in that space, this is how friends were made when it, it wasn't really a choice. He was the only guy who was close to my age, basically. Not the only, but I mean, the, the only one who can, uh, who wants to play music and not play uh, soccer, maybe. So you felt kind of like outsiders together. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah, but, well, uh, it's hard not to feel alienated uh, wanting to pursue a music career anywhere, I think, in the world, but specifically in... Uh, and where we were, yeah, it's, uh, well, we didn't have a lot of band, you know, like the, the band culture was a little bit non-existent. You wouldn't have bands come in town and play shows, you know, it was, uh, it was very uh, mystical stuff to us. It was super mystical mm. and mysterious, which made it all the lot cooler, obviously, you know. And uh, yeah, it was a joke, right? was a joke. I think it still is, but I mean, it was, <laughs> but yeah, that's how it, I, I, definitely that's how it was treated. And, uh, and yeah, if you're not, an, if you're not into sports or uh, that kind of stuff, well, at least in my case, Akram has it better off than I did. But uh, I used to play in my bedroom uh, constantly. I don't remember doing anything else other than playing guitar in the bedroom for like 10 years of my, of adult, maybe since I was 10 till I was 17 or 18, there was nothing else to do. Yeah. There was nothing really, for me personally, there wasn't really anything as exciting to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Except meeting girls, obviously, but still <laughs> in a very small town, also, God knows mm-hmm. where. That was also very mystical and mysterious. I think they go hand in hand. How did you get to this music that inspired you guys? Was there a record store? Like you said, you know, the internet wasn't booming in any way. Like what? Was it Napster? I don't know. No, not even, man. Napster wasn't so big uh, anyway. And well, I think maybe in Beirut, some kids was. But you know how the uh, you know how the internet situation is here, right? So you can imagine in the 90s how it was. It was non-existent. Even if it was existent, we used to get these small modem internet connections where you couldn't like even what like images would take forever to load so let alone load a song was crazy when youtube first in 2006 i remember my first youtube video took us it took me like two like an afternoon for it to load and it was also like a song and it used to take like a full afternoon for it to completely buffer and if the internet goes out you have to wait for it again so no there was this small shop in uh, Raifun where we used to uh, Alberto it was called when we used to get CDs and it was old bootleg CDs right it was all st- stolen mm-hmm. stuff it wasn't original stuff we never we never purchased when we were young like original CDs until Virgin Megastores opened mm-hmm. which I think it was in like 2002 or 2003 or something where we could go down oh there was a Sedectac also there was a Sedectac La Sedectac was a uh, was basically the only music store I think in there was one in Antilles and one in Beirut if I remember properly where they were but I was too young for that my parents wouldn't take me there so I had to go to Albertino and get like uh, copies of uh, you know like Metallica CDs and uh, this kind of mm-hmm. stuff yeah do you remember your first boot like that you got or yeah just, it was like, a Metallica record it was Metallica yeah. yeah it was Black Album it was a Metallica record mm-hmm. my cousin was like this is like hey, you should always because it's funny you had like I don't know if you know George Wasouf do you know George Wasouf mm-hmm. George Wasouf is this uh, is this startup Syrian artist who's who's huge he's he's amazing 
And, uh, and this was the deal, basically. You'd, you'd listen to George Wassouf and you'd listen to Metallica. This, this is how it was for the for 90s kids in, in the mountains in Lebanon. So, and Albertino was the only guy who's to George Wassouf and Metallica. But I mean, you could find like a couple of Guns N' Roses CDs, a couple of, and I'm talking, these are huge, you know, like huge hard rock and metal acts. And you would only find a couple of stolen CDs. You wouldn't find obscure stuff or anything. No way, mm-hmm. no way. The other person who gave us obscure stuff was my best friend at the time, his sister was older, and she used to give us a lot of, uh, you know, like uh, punk records. She gave us the, our first punk records, our first grunge records, and this kind of stuff. But yeah, this is how it went. It went between cousins and sisters. It wasn't like a place mm. where you'd hang out and, you know, people would talk music. Like the only person who, who used to listen to this stuff in the town I was in at the time was my cousin. And, and then we kind of, you know, we, we were the virus who spread this stuff. What's, fun, what's nice and what's very unique, um, precious, I mean, about this is that we thought it was ours, you know? We thought it was our own. We didn't think that this is the way the world runs, right? Not the world runs, but I mean, a lot of kids are like that, obviously. But for us, we thought that we were like pioneering this stuff, you know? Which is, I think, important too, and it is, it's very nice. In your room, were you composing or were you, you know, playing Metallica? Like what? <laughs> Obviously, the first, uh, the first cu- couple of years were just, you know, like listening to the same song over and over again and trying to figure out how it's done and, and it was a pain. But I remember, uh, I, I used to, rec- we used to have these, uh, I think it was Windows 95, but there was this software on it like called Sound Recorder where you could record like a sample of sound, like just one sound sample, and I think it could go up to like five, 10 minutes or something. So how we used to, like how I used to compose songs or how I used to record songs was, I would get the small, you know, the small microphone that comes with the headset, that comes with mm-hmm. the webcam. Mm-hmm. I would get this microphone, I'd unscrew it from the headphones and I'd place it next to the guitar and then play the riff that I like. And then for me to overdub, you know, to record something mm-hmm. on top, I'll put the mic in between the speaker and the guitar and then play what I already recorded and then record that on top of it and get like I get crazy feedbacks and it was <laughs> it was a nightmare really but I think at the t- I think I I don't know I think what I t- what I'm trying to do now is maybe in a way go back to that you know to, to to having to do stuff this way and getting all of these errors and having it sound and you know at the time you wouldn't appreciate the stuff because you would be only like why can I not yeah, record yeah. it I would be yeah but I mean I was 14 at the time I was way over mm-hmm. my onto, way over <laughs> myself but it's fun yeah but this is how I this is how we learned yeah and that jamming which is the best tool of because you're learning with other people so my cousin would play me like a two chord or a three chord song and then I had to figure out how to write a melody on top of it or something and we do that endlessly and then when Akram picked up on the drums then it was coming also a lot easier for me because then and for him too because we'd stay hours we'd stay not all the time we're just pounding drums and playing god awful songs and writing horrible stuff horrible horrible stuff we recorded one song and in 2004, I think, or 2003, that was our first, you know, like, finally we get to record, yeah, yeah, we can record the song, we were like 16 at the time. And uh, we went to one of uh, Rahbani's studios, you know, but I don't know if you know the house Rahbani is the biggest family, Rahbani. Mm-hmm. They're the people who produced Fairuz. So uh, we went to one of the studios there and back at the time, you, you had like five minutes to go in and record the song. So we had it very well rehearsed. We went in, pa, 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 recorded it, and the guy just mixed it down without doing anything. Like, just as soon as we were done, he was like, pa, gave us a CD. And that was like a jam for a very, very long time. I, I don't think I still have it, though. 
unfortunately. What I think it's bad. Well, name? fortunately, actually. What, what was the name of the band? It was a very tacky name. Our name was Anarchy. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yeah, you'd expect this from a bunch of, uh, you know, metal kids, metal mm-hmm. punk kids. And then what was, so talking about jamming, but also like going to a live concert. So you were in Rayfoon, like mm-hmm. when was the first time you got to see a band live that you really wanted to see? That I really wanted to see? Oof, that took a long time for mm. me to see a really band that I really wanted to see, that I knew what they were about and I wanted to see. Mm-hmm. That, was still my, that was still my university years. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, acts... The acts that used to come here too are, uh, are tacky, you know? But I mean, I remember the first concert I was at. Yeah, the first concert that I was at was... Uh, they used to do this festival, carnival thing in Baifun called... Uh, like, it's kind of a... I don't want to call it a festival, it's kind of a fair, actually. That's mm-hmm. the term. It's like they, they get these small shops and they have a small stage. And they were... People, I can't remember what they were playing, but they had loud, distorted guitars and, and it was really nice. I remember loud, distorted guitar. I was maybe nine or ten at the time. But mm-hmm. that blew my mind completely. That was the concert and I phoned. But I think I, my first decent show that I went to, that I was happy to go see a band, like an international band, maybe was in my like was it was in my late late teens or early twenties, you know. Mm-hmm. So for university, you moved to Beirut. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. We went. I went down. I didn't move to Beirut. I used to commute for the first mm. four or five years. Yeah, I started in uh, mathematics and programming. I did a bachelor's and then I did my master's degree in that. Then I quit for a bit and I worked and then I did my master's degree in that. Yep. And all along, uh, we, I was at that time I was doing a lot of uh, music for film constantly in my early 20s. I wasn't playing with a lot of bands. I played with a couple of bands, but I wasn't into that. I wasn't too like, I was learning how to record the music and how to do that stuff. So I was doing a lot of music for film. And then after like after my master's, I just realized that I was making enough money off that, that I don't really, that everything I studied was, you know, for nothing mainly. You know, not for nothing, obviously, but that I don't need to make money off that. And was kinematic, how did things, finally come together. You said you knew the people in the band mm-hmm. and, you know, with Akram, you'd been making music together forever. Yeah. But how did what, this this idea, like, okay, let's make it official. I was doing a lot of music for film and there is this uh, friend of mine, uh, Bernard Hajj, he had this exhibition and uh, he wanted a sound, uh, he wanted a, like a, basically a sound installation for it. And uh, Rudy and I, I, I talked to Rudy at the time and I'm like, hey, let's, let's do this together. I don't feel like, like, let's, try and do something out of this together and we did it and uh, and he really loved it and a bunch of friends that basically went there like really liked the piece which is basically part of it is on the first kinematic record actually maybe it was mm. the first thing that we wrote and uh, they and a friend of ours asked us she holds a festival and she does a festival in Lefid uh, called uh, Oakenfest she does that every summer and uh, she asked us if we could perform there and me and Rudy wrote a track that's maybe for 10 musicians or something. We didn't write something that's performable. And that was basically, that was the whole point with, for me for doing music for film. And I could write, and this is a big point in Madame Chandelier's first record too, that I can write stuff that I don't need to perform, you know? I don't have the mindset of, okay, how, I'm gonna, how am I going to take this live and do that? I, I, mm-hmm. I don't, I didn't, I like not to care about this when I'm recording, so... Anyway, so we did this big track and they asked us if we can perform it and uh, and we said, okay, let's try this and we got up, we got with Akram and 
and uh, Roy and there was too much too many percussions is it in it too so first at first we were five members because we needed an extra like drummer kind of person too because it was crazy on that but then now we're four and yeah that was the first basically that was the idea that okay then yeah maybe we should do a band you know maybe we should mm-hmm. maybe I should get on it and you know let's yeah. <laughs> let's perform the stuff not write it and keep it on, la- on laptops and uh, on films you know on screen yeah. And your Facebook page for the band says, skip words, mm. return melodies. <laughs> and like, that's the about, the description of mm. the band. So I wanted to know if you could talk a little bit about this. Like, what is it? What do you mean? Okay, first of all, it's program, program, programmatic syntax. This is syntax from code, basically, right? Mm. When you say skip and return, these are all uh, code words that you use in C. You know, it's a, it's a C++ thing. Yeah, it's a... It's a super nerdy thing. Yeah, well, at the time, <clears throat> and still up till today, we, we, did, we didn't want to contextualize the sound with words, and we really didn't have anything to say, honestly. There was nothing to say on top of it. The band and the record uh, were uh, made, I think, in a pretty dark time for most of us, and there wasn't a lot of, you know, there wasn't a lot of need to express these things in words, and, and we kind of t- took like, a big, big pride in it, I think to do uh, instrumental uh, music. Uh, yeah, and there's like a lot of uh, other factors, you know, to, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we write a lot of stuff, but uh, the back of it didn't make any sense to put any words on it. And and it's very interesting anyway to explore music that is, you know, where there is no place for words to be on. This was the Camera, mm-hmm. this was the thing where we were doing stuff where, you know, how would anyone sing on top of this? So uh, we were there, and uh, and sometimes we're there, and sometimes we're not. But uh, yeah, we were definitely there big time at uh, two, two years ago. Right now we're still there. We always I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, put shackle myself in, because I think that's what's stupid in it to think that okay, that uh, you're gonna do something and then you're proud of what you're doing and you're happy of the way it sounds and then you think that okay, this is how I'm gonna do everything. But it's no, it's never the case, mm-hmm. right? Change, yeah. yeah, it's never the case. But I mean, with also with being Lebanese, there's a big stigma—not stigma. There's a big confusion when it comes to language because uh, we're trilingual. All of like at least all of us in the band we're, we're tri. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think we all speak three languages, if not four, and uh, we're we're brought up to to process every part of your life with a specific scheme of like. Yeah, basically, let me say. If I'm going to the store, I'm thinking in Arabic. If I'm watching a movie, I'm thinking in English. If I'm reading a book, I'm thinking in French. If I'm doing math, I'm thinking in English. If I'm doing, you know, history, it's most probably French history. It's not going to be because in school they gave us French history because who needs to know about Arabic history, obviously. So mm-hmm. I was sarcastic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I got that. But yeah, but... Uh, but so there's the, the, so there's that you know on top of the other stuff that I just said there's that on top of it too, which make it which makes it a hassle you know where uh, Rudy Rudy could write a very beautiful text in Arabic, I can only write texts in English you know so it's it's this weird thing that we have in here and even the Arabic that we speak is not the Arabic that's written too it's a, it's like a different dialect that's made up you know mm-hmm. right, the way it is with every Arab country each one of them each one of us have like a different kind of di- dialect to speak Arabic so the fact that you don't really practice the Arabic that's written and you really practice the Arabic that's spoken 
And other than that, that most of the culture and the art that you're digesting that you're digesting isn't really in Arabic because we're like we're MTV kids, man. You know, you know we're we're big time. We're the we're the, we, we're the millennials who like were faced with the constant uh, advertisements spoken in different languages. So there's that too. So this is why we were like, yeah, we're gonna stay away. You know, mm-hmm. we're gonna p- keep this aside until we resolve it. You know, at least personally, at least until I, I understand what. I'm certain that my mother language is Arabic, but it's funny that I I process mostly everything with a different language. I understand a little bit what that's like, but I I think the case of Lebanon is very, very particular. Yeah, and it's all over, Mm -hmm. right? You can see down on the street that it's not like there's not even a standard for language on uh, on like for, uh, for traffic control. You know, even traffic control has English, French, and Arabic, and sometimes it's an English sign, sometimes, and you know, these symbols, mm-hmm. they're important, I think, the, the, these, they're important to state the language, like, they're, they're very, I, th- I think there's a lot of spirituality, spirituality and religion and these, you know, these things that you see on the streets, mm-hmm. and the fact that they're spread around on all these, uh, on all languages, with me, my case is even more specific, because my parents, for some genius reason, decided not to talk to me in Arabic till I was like four or five years old. So the first three, four years of my life, I was a French baby, which a lot of Lebanese parents do that. And it's a big culture thing here. It's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's as stupid as it gets, if you ask me, because I had the hardest time mm. at school passing Arabic. It was a nightmare. It still is. A, I still have nightmares to this day about Arabic exams. I'm almost 30. It's, yeah. Uh, Ella, Ella. <laughs> with a, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a hard sound. Uh, Ella is a, it's a term. Uh, I don't think you can translate it in. We tried to translate it in English. It's hard to put a to put it into uh, translation because it's it's a feeling more than uh, you know more than a, I don't know. But it's somewhere in between. Uh, I think it's somewhere in between being fidgety and uh, kind mm-hmm. of anxious, but at the same time not. It's not really anxiety. It's not really these things. I don't know. It's very hard for us to say what it is in Arabic, but it has this color. I think it has the color of the record. I think it's good also that we put a you put a, an Arabic name on a, you know, on a, an instrumental record, and then yeah, then it sounds like that. Mm-hmm. You know. And what was it like touring for this record? I know. Did you go to your yeah. to Europe? Yeah, we had a we we had a European tour uh, in winter in fall actually, and now we have a couple of gigs in Europe again but people didn't really well we would we wouldn't say the titles right <laughs> people don't really they're not really concerned about this stuff they're not really concerned about this stuff what they were concerned about when they heard that uh, uh, that you're a Lebanese band sometimes they uh, you know uh, people might think it's a it's an uber cultural kind of uh, world music kind of band because mm. there's the Lebanese uh, 
there's a Lebanese stigma on it. And a lot of people would say that, uh, well, we didn't know that this exists here, you know. But I mean, yeah, sure, sure. After people, well, you can't, you know, you can't expect people to know to to know everything. But the re, the the response was uh, was great. Actually, we were we were uh, we were relieved because here what happens is we play a bunch, we play a lot of gigs here, we played a whole lot of gigs here, and people love our stuff here, and we have like people who like us, and we have fortunately people who come to the shows. But I mean, still, you know, Beirut's a small place. Like let's. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, going around and having strangers at every show, right? You always have 10, 15, 20. Even if there's like a 300, even if it's a 300, 400 people crowd, uh, crowd there's at least 50 people, you know, Beirut is a small place, you know? So, and that's comforting, performing-wise, because mm-hmm. those, those 50 usually help you out. But uh, this was the whole point, like, this is the whole point of touring to me, at least, and that's good that you go and you don't know, like, it's all full strangers, and then you get, like, okay, now this is, you know, this is a proper uh, test of uh, performance, see how good you are, you know, Mm -hmm. and we did great, and I was, uh, yeah, it was very good, and we have some stuff lined up, and it's kind of... uh, I don't want to say it's unbelievable because we we do work a lot. It's not like we're sitting on our asses and stuff are coming out of nowhere. No, we work hard on this stuff. But it's exciting and it's rewarding, yeah, for sure. And what about a Middle East, North Africa tour, like in the region? Is I've, that in the cards? I've, I would love to. We've been trying to get some stuff. We've been like back and doing back and forward stuff with Egypt for like a year now. But nothing seems to, mm. you know, to, to, to root up. But yeah, we'd love to too, yeah, for sure. For sure, if something uh, rings up, we're in. But for some reason, our, the, the, the emails usually are, are more European. For hmm. I don't know. I wouldn't hmm. know, even though our contacts are way stronger there than they are, you know. We have a lot of Egyptian friends and we have a lot of Jordanian friends. Well, musicians too, you know. Mm-hmm. The music, like the music scene here is too small, so everyone... It's not mm-hmm. too small. I don't want to say it's too small, but I mean with this specific kind of stuff, with like applied and processed music and stuff that is a little bit, you know, not uh, not played in Arabic weddings, let's say. So the people, they're not, we're not that many, so we kind of huddle around, huddle around together. Well, and we, they fight a, we fight a lot too, but anyway. I think it's like I think it comes hand in hand, you know, because you're not a lot, so everyone gets really emotional about everything, and everyone gets really close together, which makes people fight more, obviously. Yeah, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of drama, but it's good. It's good. It means our hearts are, you know, are mm-hmm. yeah, they're on fire. The family, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, in your solo projects, how did you develop an alter ego? Did you feel like you had to separate? This kind of uh, the like alter ego selves. The, <laughs> the alter ego is a is a is a is an homage to uh, Sophie Germain, which is uh, uh, which is a mathematician of the nineteenth century who used to publish uh, under a, a man's name, so people would take her seriously. Mm-hmm. So I did the homage and flipped it, and because it's it sounds fun for me, it just sounds so fun and it's confusing and I like confusing and fun stuff mm-hmm. it's just and uh, whatever and you put your name on it and you know mm-hmm. and you put a date and it becomes you know and it's not it's not too fun mm-hmm. to make things this way I like them to be I don't know but yeah the, the, the name Madame Chandelier is the, the Madame Chandelier is obviously like I think there's a lot of humor in it I think it's a funny name because it's Chandelier means you know uh, 
Chandelier, yeah. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Yeah, I say it in French because, yeah, there you go. You see, I was just talking to about this. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There's a lot of that in our heads. If it were in Arabic, it wouldn't be as funny. No, Madame Treya. <laughs> well, it would be too funny. That's it. It would be too funny. But there's a part of the humor in Lebanon that it's a French name. That's, that's part of the charm and the humor for the Lebanese, uh, for my Lebanese friends at least. What makes them giggle about it is that it's French. You know, and I live in Ashrafiya and Ashrafiya here is, uh, used to be, you know, before the war it used to be the place of the, you know, the high culture kind of Frenchies. Yeah, so that's where the name is from. Yeah. And so you, when, when did this start and like how has it been working solo? Uh, I did the first record in 2016, and uh, it was, as I said, basically that record is uh, its just two instruments, really. It's three instruments. I had two synths and a guitar. This was the whole point also of that, because uh, I wanted to do stuff that I can't perform live, because I could just basically stack up 10,000 guitars on top of each other, which I'm not going to be able to do live. Like, it's a lot of computer stuff. And Kinematic is non-computer stuff at all. Kinematic, the first record, is all live, one room, reel-to-reel. We were that purist about it. We even right. went back to the old f- format. We wanted to do something as raw as it gets. And uh, Madame Chandelier is the exact opposite of that. It's computer music to the full. And I think it started because of my... You know, I, 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 tell, I, tell, I can't be too religious about anything. You know, I can't have a moral standard, like, I want to do this. And then do that. I have to break it. This is why when we were talking also about, you know, the words or the instrumental stuff, it's just too serious to me. And as soon as it gets too serious or it becomes in some kind of, you know, context or some kind of driveway or some kind of, you know, like, I don't know, philosophical thought, it starts pissing me off. And I think it's also a political thing because uh, I think it's, I think it has to do, a lot of that has to do with politics, the way they run here too. Because there are no school of thoughts at all. There are no runways. It's just people doing whatever. So heck, so when I become too, you know, okay, this is how I'm going to do it and this is how it's going to be, uh, it, uh, I, I tend to just do the opposite completely. Mm-hmm. So Madame Chandelier is kind of a lash out of that doing, like, first initially, at, like, I don't want to do only live stuff, you know. So I want to record stuff on my laptop and release stuff on my laptop. So that was, I recorded this record after we finished recording Kinematics record, but it took a while for Kinematics record to get out till we find it to to print the vinyls because we did it on vinyls and stuff that. So that record was basically like trying to scratch off my system all of these uh, these rules that I put on myself, you know, these rules and these ways of thought. So yeah, this is how it went out. This is how it began. What's gonna come out of it? I, I've, well, I'm always recording stuff. I have like I have. I have maybe, I don't know, I, I, don't, I can't, don't even know how many Madame Chandelier songs I have in the, in the drawer. No, really, the number is terrifying. The number is really, really bad. But, um, and I don't know if I'll release any of it. I have a feeling that one day I'll just drop, you know, like on SoundCloud, just maybe 500 tracks or something, just to be like, yeah, this is what the internet can do. And you know, you know, there's a lot of this stuff also as well to it. And, and we're so... We're talking about this when you were young, you know, a song, to get a new song or to get a new record was such a thrill. Right now we don't have this, this anymore, like, I don't want to say that there's spam, but I mean this communication, this digital age, it's crazy, you know. I, I can't, I love it, but at the same time it terrifies me. It ter- completely, also being a musician, it terrifies me, uh, it terrifies me that... Uh, 
that everything is so liquid and everything is in this huge ocean and uh, I, I don't know how to express breaking this you know maybe it would, mm. maybe it would be just all of these songs all of the, this music that I have on these hard drives just to put all of it you know online just to say okay just underline the fact that okay we're really, we're really actually it's an avalanche of stuff it's a, just an avalanche of data everywhere you know and uh, and it's obviously gorgeous for so many reasons but right now I think we're at the time where wait I think it's a bit terrifying too you know no I understand yeah it's overwhelming as consumers like also like yeah. just thinking about how much music you have never heard before that's yeah. right there that you probably are going to love maybe the song that you yeah. that you're going to get super into is out there like i don't know it's a lot it's a lot of stuff and then yeah producing mm. you feel like the way to counter that might be to create an avalanche of your own just like yeah just but that at the same time that would be so self indulgent that and it would be too serious and we'll go back to that you know mm -hmm, like it can't mm -hmm. be this serious there's nothing mm -hmm. it's not worth it being that serious that's for sure mm -hmm. so um within madame chandelier you're also doing sound design for mm -hmm. film you under the same moniker well so. the sound is well, depends if it's a good film or not yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah yeah well no right now actually right now actually for a long time uh, I haven't like I'm doing. I we just finished actually working on a short film. It's a small thing, but I'm super proud of. And I've done maybe like thirty, or maybe forty minutes worth of music for a fifteen-minute film. This is how much I like this film, and I worked on it a lot with the director Firas Alak. He's a very good friend of mine, and I might release that under. But yeah, a lot of film stuff I do under the moniker of Madame Chandelier. A lot of film stuff that I don't like, I do it under Anthony Sahion. You know. It should have been maybe the other way around. I don't know. I don't know. Who cares? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I saw that you are involved with Hanin, which is yeah. this exhibit that's happening right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's bit Beirut. It took a while for this project to start. I think with the, the, the piece that I wrote, I wrote it like uh, maybe a year ago. It took them so much. To, it was so hard to get the venue. I remember it was very hard for them to get this venue nailed down. And it's... It's a anyway, UNICEF, right? With yeah, like even still, big. even though, even still, because, oh, it's political stuff here. Yeah. It's a lot of political stuff. And then, I don't want to say, really, I, I don't want to say. But anyway, uh, because it's shameful, yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, anyway, the, the exhibition is uh, 40 poems that were uh, collected from uh, the children of war. And they basically, the, the mainly the Syrian, all Syrian children who, who have been through war. And uh, it's basically how they uh, how they express it at an early age. What kind of trauma it leaves, or what kind of colors do they see it in? And uh, these poems were distributed amongst uh, forty uh, artists who drew and sculpted and did this kind of stuff. And uh, and I and me and six other musicians were asked to write soundtracks for poems and uh, we went through all of them and so you had a specific poem assigned to you no i i was given 40 poems and they were like ah, just okay. choose whichever you want and mm -hmm. after reading all 40 of them i'm like okay you know i i'm gonna put the title of the poem on it but it's really to me it's kind of uh, it's a general thing you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because also you i read all of it I didn't read just to, if I read one, then I could have been specified, like I could have had a narrow vision, but I read everything and everything, yeah, you know, everything, obviously everything is detrimental and touching. And you can't, I can't really, you know, I don't want to really say I like this one the most because there is, 
I don't believe mm-hmm. in such a, you know, that it's it's not it's not like that. It's mm-hmm. not like that. But it's very, it's very interesting uh, to see uh, how 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 people going through. And well, basically, there's a big parallel in it. I was younger, but I mean, when we were uh, all of the artists who did the music, at least, uh, were were talking about this. That uh, you know, we 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 suffered somewhat the same in Lebanon. But we were younger, you know, we weren't at the age of, uh, well, I was younger, some of them weren't. But uh, yeah, it's it's super relatable. At least now I can I can read something about it, I, I want to say, because the war ended when I was like two years old or something. But I mean, the stories that my mom tells me or that it keeps on telling me are, you know, analogous in a lot of ways and to what these kids are going through, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so this kind of link in between is... Uh, it's uh, it's it's very interesting to explore that and you know kind of try to find a way to resolve these things and God knows man for these kids it's Jesus Christ yeah. Shout out some links, some stuff for people to check out, uh, yeah. to listen to your music. So Kinematika is with two Ks. It ends with a K. We always get this wrong. Everyone, every time they get this wrong. It's a kind of a homage to, you know, to techno German culture because we're not only rockers. We're electronic. We're, well, obviously playing instrumental music has a lot to do with the jazz and electronic music way more than rock music anyway. So... So yeah, so basically there's uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and and Instagram under Kinematic with a K, and uh, our website is well just type Kinematic on Google it will show up, and uh, the same for Madame Chandelier, I think I have all of these platforms, and SoundCloud too. Madame Chandelier is more of a SoundCloud project. Kinematic is more of an LP project. I think you should listen to it on YouTube and if you like it, you should buy the record because it's done live. It's done with one take. It's good to put in a record, to put your record in, listen to it, you know, listen to it side by side. Not having to jump in between tracks and not getting this option because the tracks, they breathe. You know, mm-hmm. they have ups and downs, but I mean, they breathe and they drone and they breathe and they drone. And it's better to do it in an LP format. Madame Chandelier, on the other hand, the small bits, you know, it's not small mm-hmm. bits, they're four or five minute songs, but <laughs> when you think in different, yeah, well, anyway, it's uh, SoundCloud is the place for you. Mm-hmm.